Senator Schumer four days in a row on the Senate floor. He started out with me, calling me by my name and how bad a person I was, and I'm holding up the military and doing this or that. Uh, but finally, I went to the floor one day and, and just called him out. I said, hey, you know, he forgets what I've done for a living. I've been called many, many names in front of tens of thousands of people before. It doesn't hurt my feelings. Welcome back to The Kevin Roberts Show. Every week, we are fortunate to have a great guest, some patriot, some man or woman who cares deeply about the present day and the future of America. And of course, we have a certain dose of realism that we inject here, but with that realism, we always want to be optimistic. The reason we're able to do that, this is the point, is because every guest here really is making a difference, trying to widen the path forward ahead, if you will. And so it's a great privilege to have here with me one of the great members of the United States Senate, someone who's become a friend since I've started here at Heritage, Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama. Thank you for being here. Great. Thanks for being here. What a, what a different person to be here. You don't normally interview coaches uh, in, in a Senate position. Well, I, as I'm sure you can relate to, when, when your kids were the ages of mine, I'm leaving for work today, and they said, Dad, what you doing? You know, we go through the agenda. And I said, well, I'm interviewing Coach. Well, they all knew who that was, even though, you know, you, we've got the, those people watching can see the University of Texas Stadium behind us. They know that we at Heritage admire you a great deal. And even though you've beaten my Longhorns, uh, you know, it's one of those things we won't hold against you. Most importantly, thanks for being in the Senate and being a cheerful warrior. Well, thank you. And I had a great career. I met a lot of wonderful people and in sports you meet different people uh, that act a different way when they're around sports and of course I coach thousands of kids uh, you know met presidents been to the White House uh, had chance to be on championship teams followed a lot of these guys through either whether married or when they had kids and families or where they went to NFL uh, some great stories some great stories from nothing to to uh, great success and it was a fun time. I, I, there wasn't a day I didn't get up. Now, there was a lot of pressure in it. Day I didn't get up, didn't have fun. And, that, and I tell young people, they ask me, you know, what's the key to success? The key to success is getting into something you really want to do. You know, whether it's about money or it shouldn't be about that. It should be about when you get up in the morning, you look forward to taking a shower and brushing your teeth and getting to work to make a difference and enjoying what you're doing. That's a really good lesson for a lot of people in this audience, people who are not just in D.C., but around the country. Obviously, if they're watching or, or listening, they care deeply about the country. They're sort of looking for a plan of how we move forward in terms of policy. And we are, you and I are going to talk about policy today, but you're from Arkansas. I'm from Louisiana. We're going to talk a little bit about your story. So you're growing up in Arkansas. When did you realize, I want to be a football coach? Oh, I really didn't know what I wanted to do when I went to college, except I did play college football. And I, and I, I, wasn't, I wasn't real good, but I knew if, if I ever did get in coaching, I wanted to get in college. I grew up an Arkansas Razorback fan. Frank Broyles was a, was a hero of mine. He and Daryl Royal sure. uh, at Texas. And uh, my biggest disappointment maybe as a fan was the 1969 shootout in Fayetteville, one versus two, and Texas ended up winning the game. Uh, and – uh, you know, as a young fan and supporter of the Arkansas Razorbacks, that's something I kind of hung my hat on. Uh, 
It took me a long time to get over that. Those are devastating, those oh, losses. Oh, those losses. And of course, back then, there was one or two games on television, and so everybody in the world watched the game. It's not like you had like you have every games on TV now. But, but uh, I had a fun childhood. My dad was a high school referee, along with being a manager of a, a soft drink company, and and my mom worked for General Dynamics. I had a brother and sister. One was in music. My brother was in music. Uh, I went in athletics, and my sister was – she ended up being a professor at Ohio State, and now uh, as kids uh, and uh, a family, and so we all kind of went our different ways. But I kind of, uh, you know, enjoyed the the football aspect, the athletic aspect, and uh, that caused me to get into coaching. I got into high school for four years, but after dealing with parents for four years, I said, "Wait a minute, you know, this wasn't in the deal dealing with parents." Uh, and I said, "I'm either going to get into college coaching." or get into insurance or real estate. And so, fortunately, I got into uh, a GA position in college and worked my way up. Good good lessons there. People often ask me, Kevin, because as, as you may remember, I started a K-12 school, ran a college. People say, Kevin, you know, what's the difference between that and being in D.C., working with politicians? And sometimes they mean that pejoratively, not about you. And I said, oh, I'd much rather deal with politicians than parents of teenagers. They're, they're pretty territorial. Ooh, let me tell you, parents are ruthless. You know, a lot, most of them are great, but when it comes to their kids, you know, they think a lot more of them about about them than they do about your decisions about their kids. What playing time, things such as that, and uh, it uh, it was different. But of course, I became a parent. Uh, I, Tucker works for my oldest works for Goldman Sachs now, and my youngest works for uh, a company that's building the hypersonic missile. Uh, he's in cyber. And so uh, when they were in high school and, and, and playing, I was a coach, but I was sitting in the stands complaining about the coach not playing my boys just like everybody else. So We're all the same. It, oh, it's, it, we're all the same. You love your kids, and, and you want the best for them. What was your highest high in coaching? Oh, there was a lot of them. I mean, the Auburn year sticks out. You're undefeated. Yeah, yeah I'm going to tell you that you know, had some, we had some big wins. You know, I was an assistant coach. University of Miami, that was my first break with Jimmy Johnson for 10 years. We very seldom lost a game, much much less, uh, uh, you know, had any disappointments. And then I went from there to Texas A&M and coached against your Longhorns one year with R.C. Slocum and as defensive coordinator. My first head coaching job was at Ole Miss back when they were in shambles. And, and I brought in a young staff. And, heck, we beat some teams we weren't supposed to beat. I, I took one year a little less than 50 players to – uh, between Hedges and Athens, Georgia, playing a pretty good football team, and we had no chance. And then it went in the game. You, you just, but you never know uh, how think how the ball is going to bounce, or how your kids are going to play, and how they're going to stand up to, you know, to tough competition. But oh, I, you know, won national championships, won conference championships, national coach of the year. But it all goes back to the relationship with the players that 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 we built, and. But seeing the success of kids like Ray Lewis, we were talking about him earlier from Lakeland, Florida, recruited Ray. Uh, he had a mom, uh, but didn't have a dad. He, you know, lived in a tough situation in Lakeland, Florida, and nobody else recruited him. He was undersized and all that, and they ended up recruiting him and he ended up being a Hall of Fame NFL player. But you never know how they're going to turn out. It just depends on the uh, not really a lot about athletic ability. Ray wasn't the most athletic guy, but it's about heart. And if you put heart into what you have and the ball bounces away for you some and you just keep pushing and grinding uh, 
to a certain point, you, know, you can have some success. It might be a little success. It might be a lot of success. But you'll never realize that unless you have that work ethic. And that's what I think in a lot of areas that today that we're missing with a lot of our kids is work ethic. Well, and you you got to have, whether you're a coach or a teacher or a parent, that remember that human element, you know, that, that heart of a teacher, that we all have our attributes and our character flaws. And it seems as if being a football coach in, in this era is, is one where you had a lot of opportunity to touch lives. And so that leads me to the question, that's, that's fulfilling. And, and you had a truly a great career. I would say that if you weren't sitting here, if you weren't a, a friend of Heritage. And then you decide you're going to go from that to politics. Why? What a curveball, right? Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, my dad was military, and uh, I'd go with him some on maneuvers as a young kid. Uh, you know, he taught me to love the country along with my mom. And again, she worked General Dynamics. She worked on the Sparrow missile uh, back when for years and years. That's all she did was work in General Dynamics and help build for the military. So I grew a passion uh, for military. And of course, uh, as I grew up, I, you know, as a young person, you don't realize how much you you should be grateful for the country that we're in. But then it kind of gives you the opportunity once you get out of high school and college and start or start your way up, you start realizing, hey, this is a pretty good place we live in. Uh, even though most of us in this country, we don't leave our borders very often. You know, some people have the opportunity to do that, but not at a young age. And so you have to figure that out yourself. But my dad was in the military all his life. At age 53, he died on active duty. Uh, at age 17, he landed at, Nor at Utah Beach, Normandy, and drove a tank across Europe. Five bronze stars and a purple heart. But that being said, it was kind of instilled in me of the type of country we grew up in, the opportunities for a young kid. We didn't have any money. Ended up being national coach of the year in major college football, winning national championships. Uh, somebody gave me that opportunity. It was the people in this country over the 247 years that this country has been built that give us that opportunity. So when I decided enough was enough in coaching, uh, I, I was at Cincinnati, and I told my wife it's time to move back south and start enjoying. And I did. I played a lot of golf. I worked for ESPN some. Uh, but I was home quite a bit. And one day my wife walked by the couch where I was sitting reading the paper early in the morning. We get up early and I was drinking coffee. And, and she goes, you know, for the last 30 years, this has been my house and nobody's been here but me. And I need you to go get you a job. And uh, so I started looking around and thinking about politics. And, and I looked at the situation in, in Alabama where we had a, a Democratic senator that we hadn't had in a long time. And uh, I said, you know, it's time for me to give back. I wasn't in the military. The rest of my family was. And this is the way my age I can give back to the country is, is try to go help. Because uh, I, I've seen our country uh, the way it is in the last 15, 20 years in, in way of education, which is not very good. And uh, so uh, I decided to run. Now, that was the hardest thing I've ever done, this campaign. For two years, of course, as a coach, you're relentless. You're not going to let, let people beat you. I treat it like a game. I went to two or three places, stops a day. I ate in Alabama. I ate at every Waffle House and Cracker Barrel for lunch or breakfast. I bought, I bought meals for people, talked to them about politics. Of course, me being a coach, that got me in the door. 
And so uh, I did it for two years, and fortunately it worked out for me, and we won. Any uh, Tide fans give you trouble? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, had, that's serious business oh, in Alabama. No, let me tell you something. It's it's life or death in Alabama, the Iron Bowl, uh, Auburn playing Alabama. And my, my, my success there, I won seven out of ten, six in a row. I went through five coaches. And my uh, response to them, when I'd go to a, a meeting of 50, 100, 150, I'd let them ask questions. And early on, you know, I'd have these – uh, Alabama Crimson Tide fans, coach, uh, you know, you stuck fingers in her face in terms of thumbs and counting down how many you beat us in a row. Why should, after you did that to Alabama fans, why should I vote for you? And I said, well, I said, uh, I went through five Alabama coaches because of how many I won. And because of that, I'm responsible for getting Nick Saban to Alabama. And, uh, and what it, a great response. Yeah, and they all hung on to it. And, uh, Heck, I got more Alabama votes than I did Auburn because Alabama's a true American state still. You know, we still got some wackos in that state, but uh, I mean, uh, that are over the top. But we, most people in that state still love the country and love God, love family, love the Constitution, and uh, uh, still live day to day by by their values. And uh, I'm just, I'm, I guess I'm just. Uh, fortunate to represent them up here because I really believe in, in, in America. Well, that's obvious. And when you and I first met, you had recently been sworn in. And this is during the aftermath of the 2020 election. A lot of, a lot of questions about that. And one of the things you mentioned in that, that first time we talked, we talked a lot of football, was that you didn't come up here to nibble around the edges. That's, and I am enough of a football fanatic to know that as a play caller, you're willing to take risks. And, and here, take risks based on principle. The, you're in the news right now for a lot of good things, Coach. The one that Heritage, <clears throat> excuse me, the one that Heritage has been celebrating a lot, will celebrate all the great policy you want to advance, is what the left calls you holding up some Pentagon appointments. From your vantage point, from our vantage point, on the basis of protecting babies. And so I just want to give you the opportunity for our audience to explain your rationale, explain kind of the state of play right now on that issue. Well, I'm pro-life. Yeah, Good I, place to start. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I believe in God, and I believe that uh, kids should have the opportunity to grow up uh, in, a, in this great country. But when you look at the situation that we're in right now, it's not as much about abortion, and that's been a huge topic ever since I've been here now. Of course, the— the Dobbs decision, Roe Wade, going back to the states, and of course all the Democrats, they're doing away with abortion. All, all the Supreme Court said was, we're going to let, let you vote on it. Well, what an idea. You know, let's move it back to the states and let people vote to see whether you want abortion or not in your state. Uh, does that not make sense? But uh, they're, they're trying to circumvent any way now the federal government is in the White House. This administration's trying to go around every angle to try to figure out ways to have more abortions. And uh, my first one uh, was the VA, and I'm on the Veterans Committee. And the VA, uh, 30 years ago, was voted on by the Democrats. You know, they brought it up and said, hey, you know, we're not going to allow abortion in the, mil- in the VA. Well, guess who voted for that? Joe Biden. It was a unanimous uh, 30 years ago. It's a law. And so the VA, a few months ago, decided after Dobbs that, hey, we're going to start doing abortions in the, in the VA. I said, well, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, 
so we're going to turn into a dictatorship here. That's what we were turning into. Uh, Joe Biden is deciding on his own that we're going to do uh, abortions in, in the VA. And so I fought that. The next thing was uh, the Department of Defense have decided that uh, – to circumvent Roe Wade, we're going to have more abortions in the military. And we couldn't get a briefing. This last summer it was going on, we started hearing rumblings that the Department of Defense was going to change the policy. And what you can't do that, it's got to go through Congress, but that, they could care Imagine less that. about it. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's just a small part of it. So we're not, we're not going to worry about that little factor. And so finally in November, we convinced the Department of Defense to come by and give us a, a briefing, and they did. And I'm going, wait a minute. I mean, right now we already have an abortion policy. Rape, incest, and health of the mom. Three factors that they can have uh, abortions in the military. And so it's been that way for years. Nobody's complained. It's not been any problem whatsoever. Taxpayers are not funding it. And so it ended up, you know, a a good policy. And so they said, well, we're just going to change that policy we're going to have abortion at any time and we're going to allow the mom to uh, fly anywhere they want to have the abortion then give them three weeks paid leave off and that doesn't come out of their health care allowance and oh by the way we're going to allow their dependents to have abortions too and we the taxpayer get to pay for this yes and so uh, I've thrown that out there and I, I told the I wrote a letter to Secretary Austin of Secretary of Defense. Listen, I see what you're going to do. I've had the briefing. I, we're not going to allow that to happen. Uh, you know, last time I looked, you weren't elected to Congress. We were. That's our job. And you're not going to use taxpayer money because uh, that goes against the Hyde Amendment. Hyde Amendment says no taxpayer money for abortion. And I said, now, if you do this, and I'm going to put a hold on all your generals and admirals. Well, February the 8th, they come out with a new policy. They went along with it. And so when they did that, we put a hold on it ever since. And, uh, man, have they been complaining. But, you know, it just doesn't make sense in our country that we're starting, we're turning into a dictatorship from the White House, from this administration, when the people all around the country voted us in. Now, if they want to do this, let's put a lock on that capital over there and all go home. You know, and let's turn into Europe or Canada, you know, where they're just basically turning into socialism and a dictatorship and letting them do what they want to do. Let us have a say or let's just go home and save the taxpayers money of having a Congress. Well, and what I love about that explanation, in addition to the fact that it's true, is that someone could say, I don't care as much about the abortion issue right now as Kevin and Coach Tuberville do, but I'd certainly care about the principle that Senator Tuberville's protecting, which is that Congress should do what Congress does, right. whatever the issue is. And we got to get out of the habit of the executive branch just lording over the legislative branch, that Congress is in the first article of the Constitution for a reason. Exactly. And, you know, if, if they want to rule from the White House, you know, let's just do away with it because our job is to come up here and do the laws. And like I said, they've had these two abortion uh, policies – one in the VA, now one in the Department of Defense, and it's all caused by the Supreme Court decision of sending abortion uh, back to the states. All because of that. If that not had happened, they'd never would have said anything. But they are they're legislating from the White House. 
They're spending taxpayer money breaking the law, but that makes no difference to them. They are the boss, basically, and they're going to do what they want to do, and they have no oversight because this media is not going to hold them hold them accountable. The media we have in this country is absolutely awful. It's, it's terrible, and, and the most of the members of the media based in D.C. who cover Congress and the White House are, of course, aligned against you and heritage when it comes to the pro-life issue generally, this particular stance of yours. And I, I've been chuckling for the last several weeks because they think you're going to fold. <laughs> what are the chances of that, Tommy Tuberville? Well, when this started, uh, uh, Senator Schumer who I don't know him that well. I've never talked to him. Think about it. I've been here two and a half years. You're and, not his kind of guy. And I'm I'm 99 other senators and and uh, you know. But if you're a if if I'm the head coach, you know, and and there's kids that I might not really like on my team, I'm still going to try to get them, talk to them, and build yeah. a relationship because I might need them someday. If the shoe were on yeah. the other foot, you would know right. him, right? But uh, I've never talked to him. And four days in a row on the Senate floor, he started out with me calling me by my name and how bad a person I was and I'm holding up the military and doing this or that and I'm self-righteous and all these things that he's calling me uh, but finally I went to the floor one day and and just called him out I said hey you know he forgets what I've done for a living I've been called many many names in front of tens of thousands of people before it doesn't hurt my feelings uh and and, and But that's a game. This is for real here. So I'm even that much more uh, uh, adamant that I'm going to stand by my principles and the morals uh, of this country and allow the people of that's been elected to make these decisions and not people that have been appointed, like the Secretary of Defense and the Secretary of State. Those people never got a single vote, but they're going, not going to run Congress. And... Uh, Again, it's it's not a much about abortion. It is, but it's not. It's more about just overriding the taxpayer and spending their money on something that they're not supposed to. VA, for instance, the VA is not equipped to do uh, abortions. Plus, they have many, many doctors and nurses in the VAs that don't believe in it. And so now you're going to force people to do things that they don't want to do because of their faith. And that's not right. That's not what this country's about. Yeah, then the repercussions of that go beyond even the abortion issue. So this is why your stance is so righteous. We're grateful for it, of course, as, as I told you, the, the air cover from Heritage and hopefully from a lot of organizations on the political right will, will keep happening. So moving from that to actually an equally important issue, and that is women's sports. You've been a lead advocate for common sense there. Tell us what's going on on that issue. Where you want me to start? I mean, it's. <laughs> I, I, I wake up every morning going, it, we're not really fighting this battle. It's hard we? to believe. It's hard to believe that any grown, mature person that grew up in a free country like we're, we're, we're growing up in with a democracy that, that, that have given people all the opportunities in the world would, would come up with this idea. And all it is, it's a fight against family, uh, you know, the left, the radical left, they cannot stand God. They won't even mention God. They hate the Constitution of America, and they want to destroy the nuclear family. I mean, all you got to do is look at the facts, and they're all out there. And you've got a lot of the Democrats that you would think that are faith-based from a lot of these states that just, I guess they want to get reelected because they're going along with, with all this uh, nonsense. But... Women 
having to compete against biological men is the most absurd thing that I've ever heard. Now, I come from the sports field of fairness, of people having the opportunity to train, prepare for years physically and mentally to win and win championships. Title IX was started 51 years ago. That's pretty much, uh, you know, I can remember when it started. Unfortunately, I can remember that far back. But it gave the right for young girls and women to have the same level playing field in terms of facilities and money and coaches. And I'm telling you, in, in college athletics, if you, you got to have the same number of uh, women athletes as you do men athletes. You can have one more or one less. I mean, it's got to be the same. That's how particular it is. But now you've got a group out there saying we need to allow young men, if they really feel like that they are not a man, that they're a woman, they should be able to compete, which is the stupidest thing I've ever heard, to put it bluntly. Uh, and what it's going to do, it's going to tear down Title IX. Uh, Joe Biden, as I said in a speech the other day, is taking a sledgehammer to women's sports. Where are the women activists? Where are the people that actually push for Title IX? Now they're on the other side wanting young boys and men to play in these against women's sports. It makes no sense. And dress in the same dressing room. <clears throat> I mean, it, it's, it's um, hypocritical is what it is. So uh, we've got this bill called the Protect Women and Girls Sports Act. It passed the House a couple weeks ago. Not one Democrat voted for it. Just goes to show you where our country's going, especially on the left. Uh, Schumer's not going to bring it up on the Senate floor now that it's passed, so I tried to bring it up last week and got shot down, you know, from the Democrats. They don't want to talk about it. There's a bunch of them that's running for re-election. Somehow, someway, I'm going to get their vote on this thing. And uh, they've already voted in the past a few ways on it, so we've got them on a vote. But they're going to have to stand up and, and uh, be accountable on this bill. And, you know, it's not the American way. Listen, I got nothing against people that want to think that they're some, somebody else or whatever. I mean, this is a free country. You know, if you're, you're a guy, you want, you want to dress up like a lady, fine. If you're a lady, you want to dress up like, like a guy, fine. I mean, that's, that's, your, that's your right in this country. But to compete in that area, if you're one to compete in the other, there's nothing right about that. I mean, there's, there's no fairness. It's, it's not safe. There's been girls hurt competing against men and, and boys. And, of course, the dressing room uh, uh, debacle is just unbelievable. This uh, uh, Riley Gaines that, that lost at Kentucky the national championship to, they call Leah Thomas, who's, one, who's 6'4", by the way, uh, got just hammered in, in, in the sport that, that that they were competing in just it was just so unfair but what gets me as a father is she has a dress in the same dressing room it's unconscionable completely naked and i mean they were told not told that that was going to happen i've been listening to her talks it's i'm embarrassed for our country that something like this would happen you'd, you'd think we'd we're we're in china or, or russia or something that 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 we think something like this is right and again it's just it's the it's the left pushing, you know, uh, non-values on people all across this country. They want to change us uh, to something that we're not. They might think they're Americans, but that's not the American way. Well, and and the vast majority of the American people, to your point, are with you. They're they're with common sense, 
and just as I sit here listening to you talk about this, this is an issue that Heritage works significantly too. God forbid, for a lot of reasons, but including this one, that we find ourselves in a war with an adversary like China or Russia, because this is the time, this is what we spend our time talking about as a people, as opposed to being prepared. But to, to move on to another topic, and one that concerns you and concerns us, I know it concerns every member of this audience, and that's the border. You and I were talking as we were walking to our studio that it isn't incompetence on behalf of the Biden administration. This is very intentional. It's very purposeful. And as we sit here recording this in, in early May, we know that it's only going to get worse in the near term. What can be done about it as long as Biden is president? If, if you look at everything going on across the world with Ukraine and Russia and China, you know, the crime in our country, inflation, uh, our bad education, God knows, all the things that's going on, the one thing that's going to tear our country down uh, as we speak that's going on is our open borders. You can't have a country with open borders. It's impossible. They know that. These people are globalists. They don't believe in having borders anywhere. If you just go to Europe, and I've been to Europe several times since I've had this job and just talking to people over there in Germany and other places where they let all these thousands and thousands of refugees come in, they're devastated. They're broke. They've lost it. They've lost their country. Um, that's what's happening to us. All of a sudden, you, you, know, you, you can listen to speeches of Joe Biden 20, 25 years ago, totally opposite of what he is today. He doesn't believe this. Uh, he's been talked into this by uh, globalists, by these climate hoax people, by people that d just just absolutely want to do everything they possibly can to bring us to socialism. Uh, and this is the fastest way they can do it. They, uh, for some reason, they're hung up on race. You know, I, I coached for, as we talked about for a long time, I never looked at black, white, red. I didn't care. You know, my job was to put 120 people together and win games because if you didn't, you're going to get your tail fired. And, uh, you know, I took them from urban areas, from poor areas, uh, from rich, uh, uh, all different parts of the country, and then bring them together and have to, have to win with them. Well, that's what we've done over the years in the United States. You know, we've, we've taken people from different countries, from different races. But when you come into this country, you're, you're not a race uh, or you're not a, uh, just a male or a female or, uh, you know, you're, you're not – uh, just an immigrant. I mean, you're an American. Once you're a citizen, you're an American. You're on our, you're on America's team, and you fight to keep America the way it is. Well, the Biden administration wants to bring as many people from as many different countries, and they're accomplishing this now. I've been down there. Uh, I couldn't believe it when I first went down there after I first got elected that we're right in the middle of COVID, and they're bringing people in right and left, not testing them, putting them on buses. I sat beside. Uh, I got on a plane to come back from McAllen, Texas, and I sat next. They pull a bus up next to our, our plane. Half of them, half the plane was illegals, flying them all over the country. And I'm thinking, you know, these people are so worried about a virus that's supposedly killing thousands and thousands of people, which it did. And, I mean, they could care less. I mean, they're letting everybody in and... Uh, it hadn't slowed down the drugs. The I mean, it's just it's wreaking havoc on crime. You know, there's what I see. There's three percent of the country now they're illegals. Three percent of America's illegals, but it's twenty one percent of the crime, federal crimes, and we can't we can't keep up with that. 
we cannot do it. And but they know what they're doing. They want votes. They want to destroy the country as it has been for 247 years, and they want to change it to the the direction that they want it to go. Whatever that is, I don't. You can't figure it out. No, you can't. And and the House, U.S. House, will take up a big border security bill very soon. And and yet, you and I both know you you better than just about anyone that the prospects for that in the Senate are slim. Yeah, we we can talk, and we need to talk about it. You know, we my first two years here, we were minority in the House and Senate in the White House, and they spent six trillion more dollars than we should have spent. I mean, American people didn't know. You know, you can't. T- you know, if you started counting to a tree and it take you three years to get there, that's how much money that is. And we threw so much money out there. Inflation rampant. Uh, they cut all the oil out. And I, well, we don't want to dig for oil. You know, we want wind and solar, which is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. This EV battery and EV cars. It's going to be the downfall of a lot of our uh, uh, car manufacturing. And I go around and talk to them. Are y'all going to do, actually do this? There's nowhere to charge. We don't have enough energy uh, to even charge all these batteries. Batteries don't last very long. How are you going to dispose of them? But these people are buying into it. I don't understand it. Well, it's part of the agenda. So you're, but you're telling me is that we shouldn't have an all-electric tank fleet when we're in our next war? <laughs> <laughs> these, okay. This would be a comedy show, Senator. This this administration. Oh, we could sit here and talk all day about about the just things that are not going to work. The EV battery is not going to work. I mean, now I hear Elon Musk said we can come up with different different uh, types of batteries that we don't have to use all these minerals, and that that would be their only savior because everything that put into a battery basically comes from China. Uh, we, you know, this White House must be so compromised by China that they can't tell them no for anything. Yeah, it's uh, clear. And it, it's clear. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk about a policy area where, of course, D.C. may have something to say, but it, it's a policy change that NCAA implemented. And you've, you've got uh, great expertise in this, obviously. And that's NIL, name, image, and, and likeness. I talk to sports fans, other coach friends I know, and, and opinions kind of split about about what to do about this so i've been waiting to ask you this question what do we do about nil well the the one thing i will tell you is i hear all from all my friends that are still in coaching and they all hate it because what what it's done it's it's taken control away from coaches being able to work with kids and make them better and discipline them because a lot of these kids come from areas they've never had any any kind of uh, uh upbringing in terms of of learning to work with other people, understanding the, uh, you know, you you, you got to get up on time. You, you've got to do your homework. I mean, everything's structured when you get to college. But now the control has gone over to the players, and it's very hard. I'm for education. One of the reasons I ran for this job, I saw how our education is nosediving because the teachers' unions are absolutely destroying our kids all over the country. That's for another topic. But this NIL, and I'm for players making money, and I'm going to tell you why. Uh, I've always been for making money because when you're a college athlete, you basically have the only time in your life you really have two full-time jobs. Going to school is full-time. And most of the kids there, that's all they do is go to school and study and go to study halls and, and do projects. Well, when an athlete comes, he has to do all that. Then he has to turn around. His other job is sports. And it is time-consuming. And so they really have n- no chance to go out and earn extra money to go on a date or, or if you want to buy a, a car or help your parents or whatever. So the money's not there. And so now uh, I'm for them making money. I'm not for the way they're doing it right now. What's happened is you're having a few players make money, uh, but most of them don't. 
okay? Uh, the, the real good players. It's all going to the, to the great players. Plus, when the Supreme Court passed this, they didn't say that, hey, you can go out and recruit and tell them, okay, you're going to come here and we're going to give you 500000 or if you come here, we'll give you 800000 And then they go there and they don't get their money. Uh, it, it's, it's basically, I won't call it a scam, but it's just the coaches are using something that they're, uh, that, that they're allowed to use, but there's a lot of misnomers to it. So what we're trying to do, Joe Manchin and I, bipartisan bill trying to put basics into uh, the NC to the NCAA that all 50 states have to go by these four or five things. Now you can build around it, but we're just trying to make it to where we can leave education the number one priority, not athletics. It's not about athletics when you go to college. It's about education, opportunities after education, and the the sports thing is just something that you can use to get your education paid for. So we're in a situation now where a lot of these kids are making tons of money and and uh, uh, they're wanting more and more and more. And again, I'm not for them making money, I'm, but I'm for one or two making money and and everybody that's standing beside you doing the same thing you're doing is not making any. I mean, it's not That's not the American way. Yeah, people who, I mean, and well-meaning people who think that the NIL practice has actually addressed the issue that you're talking about, which is that there's no time for any of these players to make a little bit of money, date, help their, their family out, whatever. NIL actually doesn't help that because there's tremendous inequity in it. And so uh, we're, we're very grateful here at Heritage that you and Senator Manchin are working on that. So hopefully we get a lot of chances to talk football, politics, culture over the years, Senator. But we'll, we'll close today's episode with a final question that I ask almost all the guests. And, and you're a realist. We were talking about that before. In spite of that realism, in spite of the challenges facing America, why did you wake up optimistic today? Well, because we've been here for so long, 240-something years. We've been a, a country that has been so strong. We've gone through tough situations as you and I grew up in the Vietnam War. We were young, but we saw it. We were, we were ripped from the seams from all over the country, from people against the war, for the war, people fighting in the streets. We've had a lot of ups and downs in the economy. Uh, you know, you go back to the equal rights of, you know, back, I grew up in, during integration when I was in seventh grade, when our school, we, 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 we brought everybody together, which rightly so, that should have been done a lot earlier than that, but, uh, you know, the, you and I couldn't, we, we couldn't correct that. But uh, it's really worked. Uh, our country has worked. Now, we're going to have a hard times and bad times, but the problem that I'm having right now is when I get up, I see a more of it a lot more of it since I'm a senator and I, I worry about it a lot more because I, I see the I see the seams coming apart a little bit uh, because when you go against our constitution which is the uh, which is the the laws that we should be going by every day when you when you've got an administration that's that's going around a lot of our laws circumventing the the proper way to do it like what we talked about earlier about the Department of Defense and the VA when that's happening and nobody's really complaining and the media is really standing behind the other group, it's it's time to get concerned. But again, this country's gone through a lot and we've withstood a lot. I think we can continue to do that, but we got to get more people understanding how great this country is. Senator Tommy Tuberville, Coach Tuberville, thanks so much for being here and for doing what you're doing on behalf of everyday American. Thank you. 
Hope you enjoy that conversation with Senator Tupperville as much as I did. We have some work to do, as he said, but we're going to put one foot in front of the next, keep moving forward and try to widen that path for reclaiming this country. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. The Kevin Roberts Show is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. For more information and to subscribe, please visit heritage.org.